electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The very simple question. Is it time to get more bullish or cautious on stocks? The answer, not so easy. We ask it, though, as some on Wall Street say now is the time to look through the headlines and buy. Bond market perhaps saying something different. Which is it? We take it to the investment committee. Joining me for the hour this Friday, Bryn Talkington, Jason Snipe, Jim Labenthal, John Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go to the wall, take a look at where we stand. Noon at the east, in the east. Dow's down 456, one and a third percent. The S&P is negative as well, 4,300, 4,400. That's kind of the channel we feel like we're in. 44 is resistance at the top. Haven't been able to really break below 43-ish hundred on the S&P. It's a loss of one and a half percent today, and yields continue to decline as we do have that flight to safety, a flight to quality, a flight to just make me feel a little bit better. 171 is the year, uh, is the note on the, uh, the yield on the 10-year note. So, Bryn Talkington, people are trying to get more bullish. We had City yesterday upgrading U.S. stocks to overweight. Today, I've got Fundstrat's Mark Newton. He's their technician. The near-term uptrend for U.S. stock indices remains intact, he says. Higher prices look likely into March FOMC meeting. RBC says we still see a path to 50-50 for the S&P 500 into year-end. That's 5,050. What about you? What do you see? I think that you have to remember, you know, there's no bad weather. It's just bad wardrobe. And I think when you look last year, (laughs) investors need to look outside and understand what the weather's like. And when we had such low volatility last year, Scott, we knew that we were going to have higher volatility. Forget Russia and Ukraine for a second, just because what the Fed was doing and with quantitative easing, with quantitative tightening. And so I don't think we're in this why I feel we're not in this March, April of 2020. And so I think these analysts calling for, you know, go back into the market, you know, so so like a March 20, March of 2020 in April, when we had this big V shape. That's just not the market we have. We have midterms. We have Fed tightening. And so and then we also have obviously the travesty that's happening in Ukraine. And so I think when you also have, you know, a third world country with first world nukes, I mean, Scott, when is the last time we've all had to have and digest that type of conversation? And so what I think is important for investors is that if your whole portfolio is based on interest rates moving lower and capital appreciation only on your stocks, I think this is going to be a tough year. And so that's where I think, you know, I've been talking a lot about covered call strategies. You know, we express that via Jeppy or individual names. And you need to have some other components like dividends, like covered calls. They're going to get you through these periods of volatility and not just be focused on, you know, is is PayPal going to go back to 200 by the end of the year? Mm -hmm. You know, that's not the kind of market we're in right now. Okay, you're not the only one saying that. And by the way, when you say 
the analysts are suggesting now's the time to buy stocks. It's not just the analysts. It's one farmer in particular at the bottom left of the boxes of the investment committee today who suggests that now's the time to do the same thing. Jim Labenthal told us we're going to have to dust off the moniker all in, Mr. All in again. And he said he's going to be buying stocks again next week. That's a big call. Is it right? That's a, that's- is it right? Because Bryn says this is not the kind of market that we're in to make those kinds of calls. Josh Brown suggested the same thing yesterday and said those who are buying the dip are getting punished, not rewarded. Here's what Josh said. And I'm going to give you a chance to respond on the other side, Farmer Jim. The dip buyers are getting killed every time they go rushing into one of these uh, earnings blow ups. And there have been like a million um, and they get that up 6% the next day and then back down to the lows and then lower two days later. That weighs heavily on sentiment. And I think we're getting to the point now where you really don't even have any good reactions to good earnings. Like you get an hour of a green stock and then within a day or two, or almost every name I could think of off the top of my head, good, bad or indifferent on the earnings side is lower That is a sentiment shift. Pick up on it. Pay attention to it. It's telling you that you don't have to listen to Citi or anybody else that wants to make a grand pronouncement like, all right, I'm back to all in. This is the wrong environment for that. Okay, Farmer Jim, he says your call. Uh, He basically (laughs) says your call and calls like it are ridiculous. Your Honor, that I thought that was big farmer, but we'll just move on from that. Um, look, I heard it yesterday, and I heard Josh when earlier in the week he said this was a bear market. I think Josh will be the first to admit that he and I have different investment styles, but to both comments that this is a bear market and that buying the dip has been wrong, what I say is you're in the wrong stocks, okay? I mean, it, you know, for people who have focused on fundamentals, who have focused on price, and who have said all along that valuation matters, This is not such a terrible time. First off, the S&P 500 is in a slight correction here. We're a little down. We're down a little bit more than 10% from the high. But if you're in the value and cyclicals, the industrials, the energy, the materials, the financials, you're not feeling that sort of pain. You're just not. If you're in the ARC stocks, you are feeling that pain. I understand it. It feels like a bear market. He's not in the ARC stocks. What are you talking about? He's not loaded up. He's not loaded up on on ARC stocks. And if if you've been in the financials... And if you've been in the financials, you've been feeling a lot of the pain. I get where the S&P 500 broadly is. Okay, it's 10% or so off of its high. That doesn't even begin to tell the story. Wait a second. 38% of the S&P is in a bear market. 70, 70% is down more than 10% from its highs. You know what? You know what, Scott? Those numbers, 38 percent of the S&P 500 in a bear market have been much higher just last year, much higher than 38 percent. So that doesn't phase me. But to the comment about buying the dip and you get your face ripped off. No, you don't. Just look at Paramount. You and I you and I parried about this two weeks ago. It was down 20 percent after earnings. I said to buy it. Guess what? It was the right thing to do. Cleveland Cliffs was down 10 percent after earnings. I said to buy it. Guess what? It's the right thing to do. This is a question of what stocks you're in. And I'm sorry, if you're in the wrong stocks, it feels terrible right now. If you're in the right stocks, and not even just the right stocks, I own Twilio and PayPal. I just don't own very much of them. And put it all together in a diversified portfolio, this ain't so bad, all right? So just be a fundamental analyst, build a diversified portfolio. The NASDAQ 
is biotech and tech. So yeah, you know what? It hurts right now. Be diversified. It's like the first thing they teach you when you're building a portfolio. Okay. I mean, the, the words sound so great rolling off the tongue, but I mean, there's a lot of pain to go around for a lot of people who are in a diverse group. I'm of, of listen, stocks. I'm sorry, not not a diversified portfolio. If you're if you're in the spiders, you're down 10 percent. And you know what? If you can't handle a 10 percent correction, which happens usually once a year, sometimes more, if you can't handle it, I'm really sorry. You should not be in the stock market. This is volatility as it normally is. And I'll grant you, Russia-Ukraine news sounds terrible. It's awful. That's actually what seasoned experts will tell you you're supposed to buy into. By the end of this quarter, actually, I think by the end of two weeks, I'll be full in. I've been buying this week. I was buying last week. I'll buy more next week. Look, you're the one who said two weeks ago, three weeks ago, the only catalyst that mattered to you, most importantly for stocks, that would take them down, a catalyst to take stocks down was Russia, Ukraine, okay? Here we are. Not only are we here, but we're escalating much faster than people I think had expected we'd be. And there's only the possibility, it seems at this point, of even further uh, uh, escalation. So the story's not getting better. If anything, it's about to get worse. So why are you telling me to buy stocks today as the story's about to get worse? First off, it's not it's not a fait accompli that it gets worse. I mean, let's just start there. But also, and I think I'm going to go back to when I said that about Russia, Ukraine, you gave me a big guffaw then. OK, the stock market did respond to that catalyst. It has responded. You're supposed to buy at these levels, not sell, not run for cover. That's what experienced investors do. The market is off 10 percent. The multiple has come down forward on the S&P from 23 down to 18 and a half. I heard Steve yesterday 14, 13 times. I don't think it's going to get there. Look at the jobs growth you have today. Look at the jobs growth. This is an economy here in the U.S. that is pretty far from a recession. And if you're going to have a bear market, I say you need a recession. Russia and Ukraine will pass. I'm sorry. It's terrible right now. I hate it as a human being, but it will pass. You're supposed to buy right now. I can't make it any clearer. Okay, Jason Snipe, do you agree or disagree? So... I think it's it's a it's a tough it's a tough place to call. Obviously, I know, but you, you know, have to just, do it because you're on the show yeah. in that corner box up in the upper right. You got it. And I will. <laughs> and I will. Um, I'm I'm cautious here. I, I'm I'm not as bullish as as, as Jimmy is. Um, I, I think there was some great certainty uh, news that we we heard from the Fed obviously this week. I've never heard that before. A Fed chair saying exactly what they were going to do. Uh, in the in the next meeting with a 25 basis point hike. I think the market liked that and responded well to it. But I am still very concerned about inflation. Uh, we're seeing commodity prices surging, obviously, with the humanitarian crisis that that's going on in Ukraine. Um, you know, so a lot of these things and issues, I think, are are headwinds going forward. We've seen the, the, the yield curve flattening, um, just concern around you know, where, where do we go next? We have a VIX above 30. So there, there's a lot of headwinds, I think, in the short run. But I think, to Jim's point, from a long-term perspective, um, you know, it, it's hard to say it's, it's, it's a bad time to be buying, right, um, if you're looking at it from a time horizon perspective. So, um, but, but where it stands right now, I am cautious, and, and I'm, more, I'm more bearish than I am bullish in this market right now. So, Dr. J, um, the 10 years like 171, mm-hmm. right? Money continues to go into bonds, flight to safety. Mm-hmm. 210 spread is as tight as, tight as it's been in a long time. 25 basis points-ish. Rick Santelli uh, sending that out a short time ago. 
Um, is an inversion coming? Does that mean a recession's coming? How do you see it, Doc? Well, uh, like I said with you the other day, Scott, uh, Wednesday, I guess it was, um, I don't see five interest rate hikes this year and, and another one next year, like uh, five to seven is what Goldman's calling for, plus another one in 2023. Ain't happening, Scott. Not with what we're seeing globally right now. Um, now, can that change? Of course. But in, as far as the next three months, I don't see that happening because I never thought that this was going to be a very quick minor incursion, as some people have said. I thought when you see 200,000 troops and miles long, however many that is, 17 or 25 miles long uh, processions of tanks and heavy artillery, that's not what you saw in World War II when you had you know, very quick actions that resulted in uh, basically either a truce or out-and-out -out, uh, surrender. I know, but Jim, uh, Jim Leibenthal says none of it matters. If you're a long-term investor, well, that doesn't. those pictures don't matter. That the unfortunate yeah. and horrific well, news that we're seeing in the pictures, that it doesn't matter if you're a long-term investor. He's right. Jim is right. Because, Scott, outside of you know the, that potential meltdown, a Chernobyl-esque meltdown that we were worried about last night, outside of that, unless we go to full nuclear, which, you know, again, you can make that bet once, and then you never get paid, because who are you going to collect from? So should we be buying significant stocks on dips like this? Absolutely. Should you buy high-flying stocks? No way. Um, should you be focused on energy and fertilizers, which I have been pounding the table for here with you, Scott, for the last month? Well, if you did, your returns are just dramatically different from owning the spider itself and being down 10% on the year. You're up 30, 40, 50% on the year if you did that a month ago when we were talking about it. So do I think that energy is going to be in big demand? Yes. Do I think that foodstuffs uh, are going to be in demand and are prices going higher because of the fertilizer that will not be coming from Russia and Ukraine to basically give us higher yields? Yes, I think all of that. So with that as a backdrop, Scott, why wouldn't I own A, those two or three sectors and B, buy good companies that aren't the high flyers, that don't have the, you know, 55 PEs to 200 PEs, shouldn't I be buying Apple as I did again, uh, whatever, a week or 10 days ago, below 155? Absolutely. And today, on a down 400 or 500 market, Apple is still at 162 and change, you know, nearly $8 higher than where it was uh, 10 days ago. Yeah. So Jim's right about that. But to Josh's point, um, do you buy a stock on great earnings and expect it to keep going? No. You use your discipline. I talked again with you Wednesday. Um, uh, J.W. Nordstrom explodes to the upside. You take your profits. You don't just sit on them. Um, look at all the stocks that have done that. Farfetch a week ago. There's plenty of stocks that you sell on those events. And as far as buying on those events, that's not the dip you buy. You could buy broad market like ETF. And you and I talked again about the uh, ETF that they loaded up on S&P puts for uh, Monday, the, uh, the next week. No, I'm sorry. They loaded up for Monday and they loaded up for next Friday as far as puts in the S&P. Was that prescient? It seems so right now. Doc, but help, help me out here. Help me out here. Because as, as it relates okay. to energy, now I'm, now I'm completely confused. 
Are you making the case okay. for or against energy stocks here? Because you told our producers that yesterday you sold a third of your energy holdings. Help me understand this, because now That's I have a disconnect here that I don't get. Well, and you're, you're doing a great job bringing us to that discussion as far as, yeah, I sold a third of my energy position, as I've described. Energy and fertilizers, my two largest sector bets, and they're bigger than my Apple and Microsoft um, and Tesla bets uh, when you put those entire sectors, not individual stocks. But what I did, Scott, was I sold uh, BTU. Uh, a third of that position. I sold ExxonMobil. I sold, sold Chevron. I sold Devon. I sold Apache. Why did I do that? Well, number one, because many of those stocks are up 40%. Not all of those, but some of those are up. I mean, you take a look at BTU. That thing's just a sick looking graph. So why did I do it? Because I was in the stock, took that off the table, a third of the position off the table. And on the dip, I was reloading with calls until, of course, uh, all of a sudden we had that shelling at the nuclear facility and the energy popped again. So now I've got to wait. If I don't get to reload, that's fine. But taking the big chunk that is equities, again, when I'm saying equities, I mean stock, and taking that, putting it in my pocket, and then investing like Bryn and I would do in the call options of all of those same companies that I just named means I have limited risk and I have leverage going forward. If we get to 120, my target, by the way, Scott, mm -hmm. uh, I know you have Mark Fisher next week. Next Wednesday. But my target, 120, 126 to 135 is my short-term target, and I can break it down with Fish why I see that. Uh, okay, um, we'll, if we we'll get wait, to we'll 120, we'll we'll do I'll sell then. another third. Okay. Okay, I'll sell another third. And 135, I'll be out. Look. Because, again, I don't want to bet on the end of the world. I just oh. want to profit from what I see as huge uh, reduction in supply when demand has stayed constant. All roads at the end of this conversation lead back to the same place for an investor, anybody mm -hmm. watching this program right now. Is it time to buy stocks or run from stocks? Is it time to be bullish? Time to be cautious. Do we put in the lows? Did we not? Could we go even lower? Anastasia Amoroso is the chief investment strategist with iCapital, tweeted just a few moments ago, which is why she is on the program right now. Quote, I cannot conclude that the low we've seen is the low. It's OK to nibble now, but it's also OK to give up some potential upside to get more clarity first. To call a bottom, we'd need to see de-escalation and better growth outlook. Growth is being revised down instead. You've heard the conversation. Jim Labenthal says now's the time to go all in. He says he's going to put the name back on himself. Is he making a mistake? Are others going to be mistaken if they follow him? I don't think they're going to be mistaken necessarily if they have a long enough time horizon. So I think Jim is right. It's time to buy a few select things that you have really, really high conviction in, and you should give yourself plenty of time horizon. I think everybody would agree that this situation is likely not to turn around on a dime, but 12 months from now, we're likely to arrive at a better place. So if you can pick the spots carefully, if you can select the stocks, I think that's the right approach. But the reason, Scott, why I'm not ready to call in all clear on this market and say that this is the low, the reason for that is as many civil linings as we have, strong jobs and, you know, the Fed, it's a little bit less hawkish now. As many as we have, you still have the reality that the escalation on the ground in Ukraine is more likely right now near term than de-escalation. 
I mean, if you think about Putin and what he's done to date, how do you plausibly go back without having won anything? How do you go back to a country, to an economy that's in shambles without getting some sort of a win? And at the same time, if you look at Ukraine, Ukraine, they've mounted a significant pushback uh, to Putin, but they're not, and because of that, they're not yet ready to sign a deal. So as long as the standoff continues, the chances are uh, Vladimir Putin is likely to escalate more than to de-escalate. So that's one source of uncertainty that I worry about for the markets. And first of all, it is a terrible situation on the ground in Ukraine. But for all of us watching the markets, it's about the commodities. So have we really seen the peak in wheat and, uh, uh, and oil and natural gas? I'm just not sure. I know that for every $10 move in oil, you get a certain repricing higher in inflation. So this is supposed to be the environment where inflation pressures are abating and bottlenecks are abating, but instead we're likely to be in the exact opposite environment. So this is why I say it's okay to give up a little bit of upside, potentially for the market if you know we have a turnaround tomorrow, it's okay to give that upside up so that we have the clarity. And the last thing I would say, Scott, let's put Russia and Ukraine conflict aside for the time being, but now you look at the data. And if you look at the global economic data, it has actually peaked in December of last year and is starting to slow down already, just as the Fed is starting to talk about ramping up rates. So that in itself is not a good combination. And I think what we see in the next few months are downside earnings revisions, mm -hmm. which historically didn't spell upside for stocks. Already seeing it, right? I mean, that's where the trend is going, Jim Labenthal. So now you've heard everything. I, wa I want you to respond as well. Why are you trying to be yeah. a hero? I'm not trying to be a hero. I'm doing my job, which is making money for my clients. And I have absolutely no qualms about what I'm doing. Um, to the comment that I think both uh, John and Anastasia made about time will tell, I agree. I don't think it's 12 months, though. I heard Anastasia on that. I think there's another two weeks to go before calming down will happen in Russia, Ukraine. You'll get the first rate hike. I bought this week. I bought last week. I'm going to buy next week, and I'm probably going to buy the week thereafter. That will get me back to all in. Now, things can change, all right? Things can change. Um, but you have to remember that this is a pretty dark period, and it's darkest before the dawn. I know that sounds trite, but look at the positives underneath. Look at what happened to the labor force participation rate in today's news. You know, it ticked up, and it's been ticking up. That's going to help control inflation. Omicron is fading. We don't even talk about that. That gets people back into the ports. It gets people back into the factories. It helps the bottlenecks declog. And yes, obviously oil is a problem, but you can't just focus on the negatives. If you do that, you're not going to see where the market's going. Omicron is fading. People are getting back to work. Labor force participation rate is picking up. You've you got to see the positives. And are, I don't see many you, people you, doing you, that. You are talking as if the economy is in full scale acceleration mode. It, it's not. It's strong for certain. Is it accelerating? Scott, Are earnings going to continue to grow from here or decline Scott, from where they Scott, were? Let me make it simple. Let me make it simple. Not I, for you, I just but, did, for our, but go ahead. Not, not, not for you, but for our viewers. OK, if you're worried about growth decelerating, but the implication is you're worried about a recession, which would lead to a bear market. That's not what's happening. Not with 600,000 jobs created last month. Not why, with the labor force participation rate does, picking up. Why does decelerating growth have to end in a recession? Why can't because it, you're already, why can't it because just be? Because, Scott, you're already down 10%. Why can't it just if, be decelerating saying, growth? If, Earnings if expectations saying, are coming down, not going up. That and doesn't necessarily mean it. you're going into a recession, but one the is negative for stocks. Reflected, 
the market has already reflected a slowdown. If you think the market's going lower from here, not you, but the general you, then you have to think something worse than a slowdown is afoot. And I just don't see a recession anywhere near. And I don't think I'm crazy. I don't think I'm being a hero or out on a limb. Jim? The market is anticipatory. It has already anticipated the growth slowdown. So what's going to happen in the second quarter when Russia, Ukraine isn't as prevalent and when people are coming back from Omicron? According to you, in terms of Russia and what's happening there, no one truly knows. The median stocks forward P.E. for the S&P 500 right now, according to Mike Wilson at Morgan Stanley, Mr. Bear. Uh, is 19 times, okay? 19 times at a time where interest rates are only going one way, and that's up, irrespective of what's happening today and in a couple of days around here because of this flight to safety. And I understand that rates are ticking lower as a result of that. However, the trajectory of rates is higher because of what the Fed is doing. At the same time, Jim, that earnings expectations are coming down earnings, negative earnings revisions are going up. So you're telling me that the 19 times that the S&P is currently trading at is safe because it sure as heck sounds to me like that's the case you're making. And if anything, maybe they should be higher than 19 times. Jim? Scott, you're, the, the growth slowdowns, the, the earnings deceleration that you're referring to, it's not new news. The market has seen that. The market has known that for quite some time. That's why the market came off of its 48.18 high on the S&P 500 January 6. You're two months into a correction. I understand that people are going to think that this is a bear market or something worse, but you know what? That's what happens two months into a correction. And in the third month of a correction is when you start to come out of it, when the market says it's overreacted. Now, to the earnings and growth deceleration, you go anywhere in this country, I don't see earnings and growth decelerating. I really don't. I mean, Europe's got a problem, but I have never in my investing lifetime, never, ever counted on Europe to propel the global economy. I'm not going to do that now. It's America that propels the global economy. America's doing pretty darn well right now. Don't make me go through the list of factories that are being built. I've done it too many times. <laughs> Jim, I mean, Scott. the data speaks for itself. Who is that, Anastasia? Or, or brand. Yeah, can, can I chime in here? Can I just chime in here on yeah. the math? Let's put some math behind what is the earnings growth uh, growth doing? What is the multiples doing? Thank and you. if you look at the next 12 months of earnings expectations is 230 on the S&P. And let's say you assign the 19 times multiple to that. That gets us to about 4350 on the S&P. So roughly where we are today. So that's just if we stay as we are status quo. The downside risk to that is that if the 230 starts being revised lower, which is the trend that we started to see play out, and then is 19 times fair a fair multiple or is it 17 times as we saw before COVID? So this is, I'm not, by the way, completely bearish on the market, but I, we just have to face the reality that right now, based on what we know today, without a growth reacceleration, we are somewhere around fair value. And if the Russia-Ukraine fears continue, then we could see some of those multiples compressed. So again, that's the downside risk. The upside risk to that is that the Russia-Ukraine situation will be eventually more okay. favorably resolved. Let's do this. Uh, Let's do this. Forgive me for cutting you off. Forgive me. I want you to stay with me. And we're going to take a break. Jonathan Krinsky says we could go below 4,000 on the S&P. He's going to come in next. In the meantime, Apple, their shareholders are meeting this hour. Dr. J was talking about the stock. It's below its 50 and 100-day moving averages. Is it a buy here? We'll talk about that next as well. Don't go anywhere. We're back on the half right after this. 
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. I'm Christina Partzinevelis, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. The United Nations says more than 1.2 million people have left Ukraine since the fighting began. The outflow of people slowed for a second day, but was still above 165,000. The U.N. says the majority of refugees remain women, children, and the elderly. WPP, the world's largest advertising agency, is ending its operations in Russia. WPP says it will support its 1,400 workers in Russia during its withdrawal from the country. Meanwhile, Microsoft and FedEx are joining the list of companies suspending operations in the country. Russia's parliament has passed a law imposing jail terms of up to 15 years for intentionally spreading what the government considers fake news about the military. This will almost certainly include calling the Russian invasion of Ukraine anything other than a special operation. BBC is temporarily halting its reporting in Russia following the law's passage. Back here at home, the Supreme Court has reinstated the death sentence for the man convicted of the Boston Marathon bombing. The justices agreed six to three with the Biden administration's arguments that a federal appeals court wrongly threw out Sarnyev's death sentence. Scott, back over to you. We appreciate that, KP. Christina Parsonevelis. All right, Anastasia making the point again. This conversation begins and ends with earnings. What is the appropriate valuation for stocks? Mike Wilson says the average stock is still 19 times earnings. Anastasia said S&P earnings projections, $230. 230, 19 times 19 gets you to 43.70. Is 19 the right number? Is it 17? 17 gets you to 39.10, Anastasia. Scott, I would argue that 19 times, given where we are today, might be somewhat elevated. But that, but that is using the assumption that the Fed is going to be overly hawkish. So if the Fed does restore interest rates to roughly where they were before COVID, then you could see that multiple compressed to 17 times. And that's what could potentially open us up to another 10% downside from here. I'm not saying that's the base case, but that's what the math would suggest. Now, I do think that given the surge in commodity prices and given the fact that across the street, you're starting to see earnings downgrades, GDP downgrades, Fed Chair Powell is likely to take that into account. And it's not going to be seven rate hikes, but it might not even be five rate hikes because the demand destruction that we're likely to see, that might bring down some of the inflation pressure already. So maybe we don't get to that 17 times multiple, but it's just open, we should have that conversation. 
Now, I want to have the other side of that conversation. It's, it's not all bearish from here, right? Jim is right. And it could be possible that we have a deal or some sort of a at least near-term settlement between Russia and Ukraine in the next couple of weeks. And if that's the case, we go right back up. I just want to see that happen first. Understood. But the broader message, yeah. just, just if I may, Scott, real quick, for investors is that Maybe stocks are now down from these levels, but they're not going to be up significantly, most likely, over the next 12 months. We're in a time period where economic data is slowing, and historically, stocks return, U.S. stocks, 4 or 5% during that time period, during that slowdown, versus 15% when the economic activity is heating up. So I think we just need to readjust those expectations and readjust portfolios. Bryn and then Jason Snipe. Yeah, I think it's important as we're, we're, we're talking about P.E. levels Never does a P.E. in the short term define what the market's going to do over the next year. It's just it just doesn't. It's not a good indicator. Earnings are going to grow. The rate of growth is probably going to be lower. And so I think when you look out over five year periods where we are in the P.E., that historically over a five year forward looking number suggests that the S&P will have lower returns than it had the previous five years. But I don't think investors should get really caught up on whether the market should trade at a 17, 19 or, or a 14 and try to back in the math, because that's really not how the market works. When you look back, one year P.E.s are very low correlated to actually future one year returns. OK, it's a good point. Look, of course, time horizon matters. And if you say, Jason Snipe, do you think the market five years from now will be higher than where it is today? Everybody's hand probably goes up. I'm guessing most of them anyway. Most people want to say that's the time horizon that I'd like to think about. But most people don't look at it in five years. They want to know where the market's going to be in six months. Where's the market going to be in the end of this year? I think that's relevant, despite the fact that, of course, it makes best sense to look over the long horizon of your investing life and what makes sense five years, 10 years or, or, or whatever. Jason Snipe, the, the floor is yours. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, Scott. I think, um, you know, the big deal for me is we're, we're still we've, we've been talking about the tightening cycle for a long time. We're finally here. The Fed will raise rates next, you know, in the next two weeks, right? Um, and, and, you know, I think growth will growth has already started to slow, as we've talked about already throughout this show. And I think if we turn to the second half, once the tightening cycle starts to get underway, and hopefully, and I think there were some really good points about just the labor numbers that we saw this morning. I mean, they were phenomenal. And if the labor markets could really start to continue to grow that the way that they have been. Um, that's going to help with supply chains. And I think supply chains will ease and that will hopefully uh, start to moderate. Inflation will start to moderate, which I Let think would be this. a nice setup for the second half of the year. Let me ask you this, because you said at the outset when, I, when I, I made you give us an answer, you said you're cautious. And I think you used that, that word specifically. But then I come to find you buy Bank of America. You bought more Bank of America shares, right? I mean, financials have been one of the places where the pain has been most acute. These stocks can't yeah. do anything lately. Why'd you buy more Bank of America if you're still cautious overall? Yeah. And I think of what I really turn to in, in positions or, or buys like we just made here at Bank of America is we're focusing on quality. I mean, Bank of America had a really strong print, you know, early on in the earnings season, 28 percent revenue growth on net uh, net interest margin growth. But this is not uh, for me a uh, 
you know, yield curve story or steepening of the yield curve story, I'm really looking and focusing on loan growth. And the commercial loan growth has really grown really nicely there. Um, and, and I think some of the sanctions, some of the you know, financials have pulled back a little bit. I think that's a little bit overblown. And this is we're nibbling at it. And I think it was an opportunity. So we decided to add some capital. OK, there. appreciate the explanation there. Anastasia, I'm going to let you run. I appreciate you being with us today. Your tweet got my attention. Thanks, I'm Scott. glad you were able to join us. We'll talk to you soon. We'll take a quick break. Take care. We're taking a break. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with Jonathan Krinsky. I mentioned his big call on the S&P 500. As good a technician as you'll find. We'll talk to him next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. There's your picture of stocks, 1240 in the east. The uh, Dow, S&P, NASDAQ off the worst levels, clearly. S&P 43.19 is where it currently sits. 42.84 was the low on the day. Let's bring in somebody who suggests the S&P, in fact, could go below 4,000. Jonathan Krinsky, chief market technician at BTIG. Welcome. It's good to have you on, on the phone. Why do you think we could breach that level? Hey, Scott. Yeah, well, so we've been pretty consistent on your show the last few weeks. There's really two main reasons. One is the internal breadth of the market, um, and the other is credit spreads. And we haven't really seen much improvement in either of those. And if you look at percentage of stocks in the S&P above the 200-day, it's been pretty consistently below 55% over the last four or five weeks. And that's really a level that, you know, if you stay below there, traditionally, you actually see things get a bit worse before they get better. So um, that's one thing we're watching. And then credit spreads, you know, even as the S&P has kind of chopped around in, in a range the last week or so, uh, credit spreads have continued to widen out. And then finally, you throw on the, the surge in commodity prices. We're seeing uh, multi-month moves up in commodities we haven't seen in 30 years. And so, um, you know, they obviously are benefiting certain parts of the market, which is why we We've seen moves up in the commodity stocks, but, you know, ultimately that's probably going to have some, some ramifications as well. Well, let me ask you this. What if, and I've, look, I've, I've given Jim Labenthal enough grief today, and I, I don't mean to do it so overtly. Um, I, I think it's worthy of questioning calls to the, the nature of how aggressive his is. What if he's right? What if there is a solution in a couple of weeks to use his time frame in Ukraine? Does that change the calculus for stocks wholeheartedly? We don't think so. I mean, if, if you look internally, you know, and we've talked about this before, but there's a, a lot of the market peaked over a year ago, and then a lot more of the market peaked in November, December, January, before uh, really Russia, Ukraine came to the front headline. So certainly it could give a, a near-term pop. You know, also the commodity moves, this is not something that just started two weeks ago. I mean, and you look across soft commodities, wheat, corn, soybeans, 
you know, aluminum, even lumber. Remember a year ago, lumber, people were freaking out about lumber prices. It's almost back to where it was at the highs, and you don't hear many people talking about that. Um, so we think it's bigger than just Russia, Ukraine at this point. What's your base case? Is, it, is, it, is, is your base case call below 4,000 on the S&P, or is it more optimistic than that? It's just certain things could drag it below four. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that's kind of a, a range of, of a target that we think makes sense. Um, and just looking at some long-term perspective, we, we've talked about this before, the 200-week moving average on the S&P is down around 3,400. We're still 27% above that. Um, you know, historically, 30% or, or higher is pretty rare, and so we're still pretty pretty far away from that from a long-term perspective. But I think the bigger thing we're looking for is that kind of broad-based capitulation. And one of the measures for that is looking at uh, advancing declining volume on a given day. We have yet to see a 90% downside volume day uh, at all this year, which is, which is very rare for the type of decline we've seen in the S&P. Uh, if you go back 25 years, the only other time we've seen a 10% drawdown without a 90% downside day was in 1999. So pretty much every other time you're in this type of drawdown, you get some sort of capitulatory selling event. And we think that's missing largely because you've just had this constant rotation among sectors. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, mm-hmm. we think you know, everything will, will go down, and that's, that's when you get the capitulation. All right. Um, we'll see what happens, uh, obviously. Have a good weekend. Jonathan Krinsky, thanks for joining us. BTIG, Chief uh, Market Technician. Apple shareholders they're meeting this hour the stock is trading around correction levels we'll trade that next if you own the stock you want to hear this debate apple shareholder event underway as we speak shares down eight percent so far this year in correction territory there's the stock today 163 a near two percent decline dr j you suggest the 150s is the area where you would be willing to add more. And I know you have a large position in Apple and have for many years now. True, Scott. And the thing I'm most concerned about isn't the sale of Apple products in Russia or Ukraine, but it's potentially whether or not its uh, uh, chip manufacturers are impacted by some of the materials that come out of Russia in particular, because I believe Apple lists 10 different Um, Russian companies that do provide the base for what those chip companies then turn into chips that go into the Apple products. So that's really what I'm focused on, Scott. We'll see if they discuss that during the call today. Let me ask you this, Doc. I mean, what about the prospects for a consumer slowdown and then the ramifications on high ticket items like Apple's phones, you know, computers and, and everything else? I mean, Steve Weiss brought that to the forefront in the last couple of days where he suggested that he sold Corvo and Skyworks to chip stocks that he has liked for an awfully long time because he thinks that that's going Mm -hmm. to be happening. Slower economy, higher inflation, Fed raising interest rates, all filters down at some point to the consumer level. Yeah, we'll have to see, Scott. The dollar's been extremely strong. You and I know that means that what we're buying from outside of our borders costs us less. Um, Also, interest rates going down. Um, I saw the mortgage numbers from this past week, and that was shockingly low. And I think consumers will be happy or if not just euphoric over the drop in mortgage rates. So I don't see what Stephen sees as far as the consumer not doing well. I think they're doing well. Uh, I, uh, Stephanie Link tweeted out just a little bit ago, Scott, that a lot of the big jobs were in uh, two of the lowest paying sectors. I get that. 
I hope that shifts over into some of the better paying sectors going forward. All right. We'll take a quick break. John has unusual activity after this break. All right, Dr. J, unusual activity. Tell us. Okay, I've got two that we've done repeatedly here, Scott. The first one is Barrick Gold. Um, G-O-L-D is the symbol, uh, and they're buying the March 2450 call, Scott. Uh, This one has just been moving from, again, lower left to upper right. It's one of those big winners in the space, and I believe up over 3% today. Second one, uh, shout out to Lonnie Paxson. He's one of the folks that's been pounding the table with us on Cliffs. Also, uh, I know Jim loves this one. So, Jim, Cliff, CLF, we started buying it uh, 10 days ago at 22. Now it's pushing 26, uh, 6,000 of the March 26 calls. They just keep rolling up and up and up. So another one that if you focus on these instead of some of those high flyers, I think you'll get better returns. I own both of these, Scott. I already did. I added to positions today. Farmer Jim, I think it was Pete who mentioned this yesterday, right, in, in, uh, late in the show, too. And it may have been his unusual activity, uh, CLF. Yeah, he did mention it yesterday. I watched the show. I mean, there's an obvious bid to the shares right now because of what's going on in Russia and Ukraine and things like Biden saying, buy America. Um, But uh, listen, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back to it. There are factories being built all over this country that requires steel. People want to buy cars that require steel. I can go on and on, but steel prices are headed back up. Volumes are great. It's a great company to own right now. All right. Yeah. Up 20 percent year to date. All right. Final trades after this quick break. A reminder, Kohl's Investor Day is Monday. John Duskin's been locked in an activist fight with that company, his firm, McKellum Capital. He's going to join us 1230. What's also interesting is the CEO of Kohl's is going to be on the closing bell that day as well. So you're going to have full-on Kohl's and the fight going on there. We'll see what happens. We'll keep an eye on the stock, obviously. Final trades. Let's do it. Bryn, you're first. Yeah, if XOP. So if you own XOP like I do, or you're looking to buy it, a good covered call strategy would be to sell the June 134s, gives you 9% upside on the stock. You would then collect around $8, which is a little over 6% of premium income, all for a little over three months holding period. Okay, thank you. Jason Snipe. Cybersecurity is so important these days. I like Palo Alto. It's my favorite name in the space. 12% EPS growth in the last quarter, almost 30% revenue growth. Stay long. The Dr. J. CSX, Scott. Uh, they started buying it just to, during the show at 36, and now it's pushing 37. Uh, upside calls, 37.50s. Right. March. Farmer Jim. Um, yeah, this may seem like a cop-out, but spiders, okay? I don't want this moment to get lost on anyone about whether they should be in CrowdStrike or Cleveland Cliffs. This is a time to get into the market. I've been consistent on that during the show, and spiders are the way to do it. Yeah, but I thought you said that it's a stock, like you got to pick stocks, not buy indices. Okay, then buy Cleveland Cliffs but did, and Paramount. I mean, you, you did say that. Yes! You said that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. 
At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.